Chapter Eighteen of Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen. One of the technicians was running and screaming. The Magter knocked him down and beat him into silence. Seeing this, the other two men returned to work with shaking hands. Even if all life on the surface of the planet was dead, this would have no effect on the Magter. They would go ahead as planned, without emotion or imagination enough to alter their set course. As the technicians worked, their attitude changed from shocked numbness to anger. Right and wrong were forgotten. They had been killed. The invisible death of radiation must already be penetrating into the caves. But they also had a chance for vengeance. Swiftly they brought their work to completion with the speed and precision they had concealed before. "'What are those off-worlders doing?' Ulv asked. Brian stirred from his lethargy of defeat and looked across the cavern floor. The men had wheeled a hand-truck and were rolling one of the atomic warheads onto it. They pushed it over to the latticework of the jump-field. They are going to bomb Nijard now, just as Nijard bombed Dis. That machine will hurl the bombs in a special way to the other planet. Will you stop them? Ulv asked. He had his deadly blowgun in his hand, and his face was an expressionless mask. Brian almost smiled at the irony of the situation. In spite of everything he had done to prevent it, Nijard had dropped the bombs. And this act alone may have destroyed their own planet. Brian had it within his power now to stop the launching in the cavern. Should he? Should he save the lives of his killers? Or should he practice the ancient blood oath that had echoed and destroyed down through the ages, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? It would be so simple. He literally had to do nothing. The score would be even, and his and the Disson's death avenged. Did Ulv have his blowgun ready to kill Brian with, if he should try to stop the launchings? Or had he misread the Disson entirely? "'Will you stop them, Ulv?' he asked. How large was mankind's sense of obligation? The caveman first had this feeling for his mate, then for his family. It grew until men fought and died for the abstract ideas of cities and nations, then for whole planets. Would the time ever come when men might realize that the obligation should be to the largest and most encompassing reality of all, mankind, and beyond that, to life of all kinds? Brian saw this idea, not in words, but as a reality. When he posed the question to himself in this way, he found that it stated clearly its inherent answer. He pulled his gun out, and as he did, he wondered what Ulv's answer might be. Nijard is Medvrik, Ulv said, raising his blowgun and sending a dart across the cavern. It struck one of the technicians, who gasped and fell to the floor. Brian's shots crashed into the control board, shorting and destroying it, removing the menace to Nijard for all time. Medvrik, Ulv had said. 
a life-form that cooperates and aids other life-forms. It may kill in self-defense, but it is essentially not a killer or destroyer. Ulv had a lifetime of knowledge about the interdependency of life. He grasped the essence of the idea and ignored all the verbal complications and confusions. He had killed the Magter, who were his own people, because they were Um Medric, against life. And he had saved his enemies, because they were Medric. With this realization came the painful knowledge that the planet and the people that had produced this understanding were dead. In the cavern the Magter saw the destruction of their plans, and the cave mouth from which the bullets had come. Silently they rushed to kill their enemy, a concerted wave of emotionless fury. Brian and Ulv fought back. Even the knowledge that he was doomed, no matter what happened, could not resign Brian to death at the hands of the Magter. To Ulv, the decision was much easier. He was simply killing Ummetvruk. A believer in life, he destroyed the anti-life. They retreated into the darkness, still firing. The Magter had lights and ion rifles, and were right behind them. Knowing the caverns better than the men they chased, the pursuers circled. Brian saw lights ahead and dragged Ulv to a stop. "'They know their way through these caves, and we don't,' he said. "'If we try to run, they'll just shoot us down. Let's find a spot we can defend and settle into it.' "'Back here.' Ulv gave a tug in the right direction. "'There is a cave with only one entrance, and that is very narrow.' "'Let's go.' Running as silently as they could in the darkness, they reached the dead-end cavern without being seen. What noise they made was lost in other footsteps that sounded and echoed through the connecting caves. Once inside, they found cover behind a ridge and waited. The end was certain. The Magter ran swiftly into their cave, flashing his light into all the places of concealment. The beam passed over the two hidden men, and at the same instant Brian fired. The shot boomed loudly as the Magter fell, a shot that would surely have been heard by the others. Before anyone else came into the cave, Brian ran over and grabbed the still-functioning light. Propping it on the rocks so it shone on the entrance, he hurried back to shelter beside Ulv. They waited for the attack. It was not long in coming. Two Magter rushed in and died. More were outside, Brian knew, and he wondered how long it would be before they remembered the grenade and rolled one into their shelter. An indistinct murmur sounded outside, and sharp explosions. In their hiding place, Brian and Ulv crouched low and wondered why the attack didn't come. Then one of the Magter came in the entrance, but Brian hesitated before shooting. The man had backed in, firing behind him as he came. Ulv had no compunctions about killing, only his darts couldn't penetrate the Magter's thick clothing. As the Magter turned, Ulv's breath pulsed once, and death stung the back of the other man's hand. He collapsed into a crumpled heap. "'Don't shoot!' a voice called from outside the cave, and a man stepped through the swirling dust and smoke to stand in the beam from the light. 
Brian clutched wildly at Ulv's arm, dragging the blowgun from the Disson's mouth. The man in the light wore a protective helmet, thick boots, and a pouch-hung uniform. He was a Nijarder. The realization was almost impossible to accept. Brian had heard the bombs fall, yet the Nijard soldier was here. The two facts couldn't be accepted together. "'Would you keep a hold on his arm, sir, just in case?' the soldier said, glancing warily at Ulv's blowpipe. "'I know what those darts can do.' He pulled a microphone from one of his pockets and spoke into it. More soldiers crowded into the cave, and Professor Commander Kraft came in behind them. He looked strangely out of keeping in the dusty combat uniform. The gun was even more incongruous in his blue-veined hand. After giving the pistol to the nearest soldier with an air of relief, he stumbled quickly over to Brian and took his hand. "'It is a profound and sincere pleasure to meet you in person,' he said. "'And your friend Ulv as well.' "'Would you kindly explain what is going on?' Brian said thickly. He was obsessed by the strange feeling that none of this could possibly be happening. "'We will always remember you as the man who saved us from ourselves,' Kraft said, once again the professor instead of the commander. "'What Brian wants are facts, Grandpa, not speeches,' Hyes said. The bent form of the leader of the rebel Nijord army pushed through the crowd of taller men until he stood next to Kraft. Simply stated, Brian, your plan succeeded. Kraft relayed your message to me, and as soon as I heard it, I turned back and met him on his ship. I'm sorry that Telt's dead, but he found what we were looking for. I couldn't ignore his report of radioactive traces. Your girlfriend arrived with the hacked-up corpse at the same time I did, and we all took a long look at the green leech in its skull. Her explanation of what it is made significant sense. We were already carrying out landings when we had your call about something having been stored in the Magter Tower. After that, it was just a matter of following tracks and the transmitter you planted. But the explosions at midnight, Brian broke in. I heard them. <laughs> you were supposed to, Hyes laughed. Not only you, but the Magter in this cave. We figured they would be armed and the cave strongly defended. So at midnight we dropped a few large chemical explosive bombs at the entrance, enough to kill the guards without bringing the roof down. We also hoped that the Magter, deeper in, would leave their posts or retreat from the imagined radiation. And they did. It worked like a charm. We came in quietly and took them by surprise, made a clean sweep, killed the ones we couldn't capture. One of the renegade jump space technicians was still alive, Kraft said. He told us about your stopping the bombs aimed at Nijard, the two of you. None of the Nijarders there could add anything to his words, not even the cynical highs. But Brian could empathize their feelings, the warmth of their intense relief and happiness. It was a sensation he would never forget. There is no more war. Brian translated for Ulv, knowing that the Disson had understood nothing of the explanation. As he said it, he realized that there was one glaring error in the story. 
You couldn't have done it, Brian said. You landed on this planet before you had my message about the tower. That means you were still expecting the Magter to be sending their bombs to Nijord, and you made the landings in spite of this knowledge. Of course, Professor Kraft said, astonished at Brian's lack of understanding. What else could we do? The Magter are sick. He laughed aloud at Brian's baffled expression. <laughs> you have to understand Niger's psychology, he said. When it was a matter of war and killing, my planet could never agree on an intelligent course. War is so alien to our philosophy that it couldn't even be considered correctly. That's the trouble with being a vegetable eater in a galaxy of carnivores. You're easy prey for the first one that lands on your back. Any other planet would have jumped on the magter with both feet and shaken the bombs out of them. We fumbled this so long it almost got both worlds killed. Your mind parasite drew us back from the brink. I don't understand, Brian said. A simple matter of definition. Before you came, we had no way to deal with the magter here on Dis. They really were alien to us. Nothing they did made sense, and nothing we did seemed to have the slightest effect on them. But you discovered that they were sick, and that's something we know how to handle. We're united again. My rebel army was instantly absorbed into the rest of the Nijard forces by mutual agreement. Doctors and nurses are on the way here now. Plans were put underway to evacuate what part of the population we could until the bombs were found. The planet is united again and working hard. Because the Magter are sick, infected by a destructive life-form? Brian asked. Exactly so, Professor Kraft said. We are civilized, after all. You can't expect us to fight a war, and you surely can't expect us to ignore the plight of sick neighbors. No, you surely can't, Brian said, sitting down heavily. He looked at Ulv, to whom the speech had been incomprehensible. Beyond him, Hyes wore his most cynical expression as he considered the frailties of his people. Hyes, Brian called out, you translate all that into Disson and explain to Ulv. I wouldn't dare. End of chapter 18